Please turn also to the Old Testament, to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. The text for this morning is Ecclesiastes 10 verses 4 through 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verses 4 through 7. This also is God's holy word. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our blessed God, we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Father, for you proclaim yourself as the one who is sovereign over all the details of our lives. That even in your word, you have said that all authority belongs to you. And if anyone is in authority, it's because you've put them there. And Father, we know that your ways are just, that your ways are right. That any sinner who sins will answer to you for them. Especially those who are in authority and abuse that authority. Father, we pray in thanks for the authorities that you have given us in the home, in the state, in the church. Father, we pray that we would rejoice and give thanks to you. Father, oftentimes you provide us good and godly examples. Uh, At other times you provide us uh, poor and bad examples. And Father, may we rejoice and may we long for the reign of Jesus Christ. Father, may we long for heaven uh, that we might worship at his feet. Father, we ask that you would guide us in our worship this day, even as we receive your word, even as your spirit searches our hearts. Father, grant us humility to receive your word. And Father, we thank you that Jesus indeed is uh, the ruler who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Yet you sent your son as a pauper, that you sent him in lowliness, in humility, in obscurity. And we pray and thanks, Father, that he indeed is the one who reigns on high, that he accomplished the purpose for which you sent him, that he came to pay the price for sinners that he paid it in full. And Father, we pray that all here would embrace the good news of the gospel, for it indeed is eternal life, and that in it you freely offer us the forgiveness of sins. Father, we pray in thanks for your generosity. We pray in thanks for uh, your mercy to us as sinners. And we pray, Father, that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be exalted, and that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. We do not need to look far in our society to see uh, what happens when there are earthly rulers who do wrong, who earthly rulers who serve themselves rather than the Lord Jesus, uh, rather than those who are under them. And so often it is the case when we see this, that we start to ask the question, uh, who put them in charge? 
Who put them there? And it may be that there was uh, an earthly answer of some human ruler put them there for nepotistic reasons, improper reasons. Ultimately, we must believe that God put them there because he possesses all authority and power. And if anyone is in authority, it's because God put them there. And God has put them there for a purpose. And at times it may seem like he's put them there for the purpose that we would pray for them and that we would give thanks for good and godly rulers and that God would replace them or transform them. That we should often be in prayer for our leaders in in the home, in the church, in the state, that if they are unconverted, especially uh especially those who are in an authority that if they're unconverted, that they might know Jesus Christ and worship and serve Jesus Christ our Lord, that we should desire that men who are in authority, men, women in authority, uh, would know and submit and bow the knee to Jesus Christ and honor his word. Even when we think about this book of Ecclesiastes as it's wrapping up, uh, we're looking at how the book presents life under the sun. That life under the sun oftentimes is not easy. That our eyes of flesh see what's wrong. That we have uh, the, the eye of faith telling us what God is doing, where God tells us that he's in control of all things. Uh, but yet for us as Christians, for, for us uh, judging by the eye of flesh, we see the, the effect of the fall. We see how uh, the fall has negative ramifications. That life under the sun is difficult because uh, as a result of the fall of Adam and Eve, that there is a curse upon man. And through the sun, not not S-U-N, but through the son of God, S-O-N, through Jesus Christ, that the life that uh, Kohelet, the author of Ecclesiastes, says is vanity and a striving after wind can be redeemed. That there is new purpose, there's new hope, there's new life. And, and what we think and how we live and what we do. So here it's attempting to get satisfaction and understanding in this life uh, that has sadness, that has grief, and that has exhaustion. And even here regarding uh, living under the authority, under the rule of fools, that our hearts might be turned to Jesus Christ who indeed reigns on high, and he is the gentle and the loving master. So these verses, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 4 through 7, the truth that we see, may every fool you encounter in authority give you a greater longing for the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. May every fool you encounter in authority give you a greater longing for the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. So the first point, we will look at this in two points. The first is the emotional rule of fools. And second, the unsuited rule of fools. So the first point from verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. So this is the emotional rule of fools. Uh, Here in the beginning of verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not be surprised if you are under authority... And someone has power, particularly if he has absolute power, that there will be anger. We think about anger. Why, why, do, why do people become angry? Well, 
Generally, it's because they're, they feel insulted, right? Uh, they feel wronged. Uh, they're not getting what they want, and people become angry. Uh, anger and harshness is invariably linked to pride. That if you manifest anger and, and harshness easily, it's because of the pride that's within you. When people have anger problems, there's always going to be a pride problem that goes along with it. Just as humility is coupled with gentleness, with kindness, with patience, that pride is coupled with anger and harshness. That you and I have to be reminded that we have little to no control over other people's anger, but God expects us to keep our anger and our emotions in check. For Christians who are in authority, whether as parents, whether as church leaders, whether as uh, civil leaders, civil servants, that power and authority are not for personal gain or privilege, but for service. Children, how, how often is it when uh, you're being told by your mother or your father or both of them how you have to do something? And it's something you don't want to do. It might be something as simple as, as simple as eat your broccoli. And it's, no, I, I don't want to eat my broccoli. Uh, and there's the thought that goes through your head of when I become a parent, I'm not going to make my children eat their broccoli. Until you start to hear about certain things like colon cancer and, and the health effects of having no fiber and, and, and vegetables in your diet and all that. And, and then you realize, well, hey, you know, the meal can't always con contain food that you want to eat. There are things that you need to eat that may not be what you want to eat. And all that. And, and children think about how <clears throat> when I become a parent, then I'm going to change things. And so also, uh, you think about the campaigns of, hey, uh, the incumbent, he's always wrong. He's, he's failed, and, and sh or she's failed. And, and when I get in office, I'm going to do all these great things. But you know what? When those people get in office and they find out, well, there's all this red tape. There's all this resistance. There's this institutional uh, momentum that's difficult to, to deal with, difficult to overcome. And the idealism... The idealism of, hey, when I get into office, I'm going to make all these changes. Well, you know what? It's not that simple. It's always easy to think if I have the authority, I, I'm going to change all these things and they're all going to be better. It's not that simple. If only life were that simple. Think about what Jesus talks about. Jesus says that all authority in heaven on earth has been given to him. That Jesus possesses all authority. If anyone has authority... Jesus gave it to him. And this is the meaning that Jesus possesses all authority and power. And then we look at the passage that we read in the New Testament. We look at the passage that he read in the New Testament. Luke chapter 22, verses 24 to 30. That he talks about the matter of uh, who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves. And he says, is it not the one who reclines at table? So the person being served, obviously he's greater. But then he makes this statement. So he, he helps you make the right conclusion. Of course the one who's at table being served. He's the greater one. But then he makes this odd conclusion. 
but I am among you as the one who serves. And is he not the greatest? Indeed, he is the greatest. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And shouldn't he be our example? We worship him. We serve him. And if he came not to be served, but to serve, shouldn't that be what we do? For Christians, it should completely change our view of authority, our view of power. Power and authority never wielded for our own personal privilege or our own personal gain. Not to lord it over people, but rather to serve them. So when we think about anger, why, why is it that, that we in authority should ever be angry? Right? We, we can be angry about sin, but are we, are we trying to intimidate people? Do we plead with them? Anger is the response when we don't get our way. Whether it be your ease, uh, your honor, and let's, let's be straight. When you and I don't get what we want, that is when our true character starts to show. When we, we don't get what we want, and then our true character comes out. And there's no, there's no hiding that. Be, oh, whoops, did that come out of my mouth? No, no, it did, because it came out of your mouth, because it came out of your heart. Mm-hmm. So here, this is what happens. The anger of the ruler rises against you. And the Lord gives us the, the wise man's proper response to the anger of another. It says, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. How often do you see this? A ruler comes in, right? A ruler has little to no patience, and you've done this wrong. You failed. And, and the list goes on and on. Or, you know, he, he only brings his, his uh, frustrations, right, when, when you and I are called to come up with solutions. So it's like, okay, uh, I, I hear a lot of emotion, uh, a lot of heat, not a lot of light, and you and I are called to, to make sense of it. And it might be a ruler, it might be a boss, and they're upset about your decision, your performance, your service, and the common temptation is simply to say, I resign or I quit, as in, hey, I want no part of this. And what, what this is really, you boil it down, it's really a response of pride. I'm not in need of change. I'm unwilling to change. I'm unable to improve. Right? So, hey, I'm going to resign because there's nothing I can do to change, to improve, and I don't need to improve, so then I quit. This is a situation of pride. You have the pride of one in anger. You have the pride of the other in, in protest. And this sinful response of, of anger coupled with a counter response of anger, that these are two sinful responses, uh, neither of which are approved by the Lord. At least this much is true. In this situation, the anger of one is better than the anger of two. Hope you understand that. If, if one person is angry, and then you add another person who is angry, it never helps. 
In fact, when you look at any situation you face, whether it be in a marriage, in a, a family, in a relationship, uh, in the workplace, uh, in society, adding anger to a situation never really improves it, does it? It, it, it just, it never helps, never helps. <clears throat> then we think about rulers, particularly in the East. Perhaps you can imagine, <clears throat> Proverbs talks about it. Talks about putting a knife to your own throat in response to uh, meeting a ruler. Because in the East, you say the wrong thing and you could lose your life. Because the rulers there had absolute power. They can drain the blood from your body for saying the wrong thing, for, for making an insult. You, you better learn all the customs. That'd be very important. You say the wrong thing. You exalt yourself. He finds you a fool. Uh, he, he can take you from his presence permanently. And so if he is angry at you and he has the authority over your very life, it would be wise not to become angry. But rather, we're told <clears throat> this idea of calmness. <clears throat> begins by saying, do not leave your place. So, if you're in the presence of a ruler, you are excused from his presence. If you need to leave, for example, to go to the bathroom, you ask permission to leave his presence. You don't walk away from a ruler. Very important. Very important. If you're in the presence of someone who is, who is a high-level ruler, don't just walk away. It's very bad. It would be insulting. You're dismissed. You're asked, you ask permission to leave. So here, leaving your place, you think about how bad this can be. You're walking away. Hey, what just happened here? The ruler, hey, this, this man walked out on me. Very bad. Think about the other meanings of leaving your place. So he's asked you to do something. You leave your place, you abandon your post, so to say. So all the other assignments that you have as an administrator, as a servant, you're doing. And he asks you to do something that you cannot do, or he's upset about something you've done. If you walk away saying, I quit, you've abandoned your post, that if you're not doing your work, he's just going to see the overall response and say, this, this servant is lazy. This employee is lazy. When, when what we should be doing is, let's not abdicate, let's not, let's not uh, undermine this. Rather, we should say, continue working in the things that you can do. If he's asked you to, to do something that is inherently sinful, of course we have to refuse it, doing so respectfully. But we should continue doing the other work. Because if you don't do anything, he's going to say, well, this person is just wicked and lazy. So don't leave your place. Continue on. Be trustworthy with what you've given. And the calmness factor. Think about the calmness factor. One person's upset. Someone else is calm. You might bring his anger down. Proverbs 16.32 He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. But men, women... Even children who can rule their, rule their emotions. That these people are indeed great. 
They don't get riled up easily. That it's difficult to get under their skin. That God calls you as a Christian to be self-controlled. Self-controlled in your appetites. Self-controlled in your speech, in your emotions, in your thoughts, in your action. He calls us to be under control. That we ought to keep our emotions under our control. We ought to be under God's control. That we ought to maintain discipline and order. Here, you and I, we need to have this dose of reality. It's is not unusual that we find ourselves under demanding, uh, autocratic, immoral, or unreasonable rulers or bosses. That this is a part of life. So you, you get a job interview, right? And, and the boss seems like such a great man or woman. And, and then you start working and suddenly, right, the nightmare begins. Or... Or let's say you you know you wouldn't want to work for that person and the boss you're working for is great, but he gets promoted and someone else gets put in his place and he or she is is this autocratic, demanding, unreasonable boss. Well that's that's part of life, isn't it? And and if any there's any one thing that happens when you, are, you and I are under such rule that we might learn to pray, that we might learn patience, that we might learn humility and gentleness. How often is it that God uses bad examples? And even as we think about the rule of those who are fools, and again, this foolishness is not a mere silliness. There's an immorality to it. There, there is a wickedness involved in this foolishness. And to be under that might cause us to long for the righteous reign of Jesus Christ. To say, we long for heaven. We long for our right rulers. Forgive me, Father, for not giving thanks for the good rulers that we once had. When we think about being under these unreasonable rulers. Here... We have freedoms in our country that we're, we're free to leave a job, right? Uh, it would be wise, especially in a bad economy, that we don't walk away so quickly, so easily from a paying job, right? So, hey, this is part of God teaching us patience. We, we ought to start looking for another job, another boss then, and wait until we find that person. It may, it may take months. It may take years in a bad economy, but all that is under God's Authority. And we, we don't want to be in a situation where if we're dependent on our income, if we walk away and then we, we bring upon ourselves other problems. The Lord reminds us that we ought to submit even to those rulers who are unreasonable. First Peter 2.18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. I remember I had this CEO. He would make this joke. He said this in, in a corporate meeting. He had said, I've never asked that any of my subordinates would work any more than half a day. And the last time I checked, 12 divided by 24 is one half. This is what the man said. He joked about it. He worked 14, 16 hours a day. So he's eight. You work 12 hours a day. It's no big deal. Uh, 
And, and that's day in, day out. We think about the, the unreasonableness or the anger of a superior. Well, is that grounds for some kind of wholesale insubordination? The answer is no, it's not. Just because they do something we disagree with, just because they, they sin, doesn't mean that, that we can just insubordinate. It's not what the Lord calls us to. Now, perhaps some of you are coming back and say, well, wait a minute, you're, you're saying that if the person has anger problems, we're, we're going to feel that anger. We're going to reinforce that anger if, if we give in to it, if we cower to it. Well, here, understand that the response of calmness to someone else's anger is not necessarily cowering to anger. In fact, one of the hardest things to do when someone else is angry is to remain calm. And there's great strength that's required to maintain your emotions if someone is not maintaining their emotions. When they insult your intelligence, when they insult your mother, or whatever it might be, to, to hold back. It's, there's great bravery involved in that. And this is what the Lord calls us to. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. There's a big difference between the command to remain calm when others, especially those above you, are angry at you, and to cower to fear and to submit to them out of fear. There's, there's two, those are two very different things. God never says you ought to cower in fear. In fact, this very passage for 1 Peter 3, 6 instructs us that women especially, you can imagine that in certain cultures where it's, it's often the women who believe first and they have unbelieving husbands and they use the iron fist or, or the, uh, the fear factor to try to control their wives. But here, women are told that they ought not to be frightened by any fear. They're to remain calm. They ought to submit when they're able to. They ought to uh, show due honor and respect. And even as the scriptures say, whether it be taxes, then taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If honor, then honor. If respect, then respect. But not fear. Calmness, correct. We see also the way that God works. Romans chapter 2. That, you notice, a person is not converted so readily when they hear about God's wrath. Oh, God's wrath, his anger, his judgment are coming. It doesn't cause people to say, you know what? I'm going to reach for this God. I'm going to cry out to this God. It's not until we hear about his kindness. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And we think about how God works and how God makes an impression upon you and me as sinners that it's his forbearance, it's his patience with us. We know what we deserve. And we also know that we rarely get the evil that we deserve. We rarely get the justice that we actually deserve because of God's kindness and his forbearance. And he leads us to repentance. 
because he promises us his favor. So this is the first point, the emotional rule of fools. The second point, the unsuited rule of fools. Verses 5 through 7. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Here begins in verse 5. The author says, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Here, Kohelet, continuing in his observation under the sun, he says that there's something bad in his sight, something that's improper, something that's wrong, something that's evil. And he's saying that it's when people who are fools or the folly are in high places. And the appropriate, the, the, the wealthy or the rich, the capable, are not, that they're in the low places. And here he addresses this matter in error proceeding from the ruler, meaning that the ruler who appoints the person. How often is, is it that we see that uh, a ruler can't do everything himself or herself? They need uh, administrators. They need people to implement and uh, you look at any U.S. president, right? He's only, he's only as good as the cabinet that he appoints. He's only as good as the, as the secretaries and all the people who, who surround him and give him counsel, right? That's, his, his decisions are largely going to be based on the people he, he puts to do his research and to implement uh, his rule. And oftentimes we see that the problems with the error proceeding from the ruler is that Decisions of appointments are based upon favoritism or prejudice, right? So favoritism, they, they have certain duties that they owe to their, uh, to their brother-in-law or so-and-so, right? Uh, so they, this person couldn't keep a job uh, if his life depended on it, but you know what? Your, your, your wife is telling you that your brother-in-law needs a job. Or prejudice, right? The... Uh, being closed off to certain people, certain views, uh, uh, having biases of your own. I think about modern times. How often is it, and I'm, I'm using a, a, a different description for a judge. We're going to have to appoint a judge. Well, you know what? We need a judge that's uh, between, uh, between 4 foot 10 inches and 5 foot 1 inch. This is the judge that we need. We, we have to have representation for short people. So uh, the next judge that I appoint is going to be a short person, 410 to 5'1". What does that have to do with being a good judge? Nothing. Right? S- same thing. You look at these other categories. We need to have a judge of this category, of that category. Well, why not pick the best person for the role? Is that, is that the right thing? Here, prejudice then is eliminating people based on irrelevant criteria and personal biases. We see this happen all the time. There's also the discrepancies of rule. The discrepancies of rule in verses 6 and 7. Folly is set in many high places. It's not just a few. Kohelet here says many high places. We think about uh, the fulfillment of Psalm 2 in verses 1 and 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Here, the fools 
in many high places. This is a fulfillment of Psalm 2, this messianic psalm. Let the nations rage, and the kings of the earth set themselves against the anointed of God, against Jesus Christ. There's a rebellion involved there. And here, even so, that we're told to submit to and honor those who are in power, who resist this, the, the rule of Jesus Christ. And it's not a few places, apparently it's many places. And you and I ought to be reminded, number one, to give thanks for good rulers, right? Rulers who desire the good of the people, who desire that people would be productive, that they would have opportunities to work, and those who care for your very souls. I think about uh, my friendship with our brother Wayne here, our elder. Uh, we ought to give thanks to those who rule well, by godly example, those who are prudent and patient, those who are hospitable. Uh, those who are sensible, that all the requirements that God speaks about, that we ought to give thanks for those that the Lord has put in our lives. We think about parents. How often is it that we give thanks for the parents that we have? That oftentimes uh, the rule of parents, so easily overlooked, so easily uh, forgotten, that uh, even, even non-Christian parents... People who have non-Christian parents, that uh, I've, I've met non-Christian parents, and many of them are, are those who are kind and caring and selfless in their rule. Then there's the rich in low places. The rich in low places. And notice here, this, the statement rich is not talking merely about uh, possessing great material wealth. Notice the contrast. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. So rich is contrasted with folly. So whatever folly stands for, folly is foolishness, wickedness, and richness then is the description about gifts, about abilities, about resources. And, and we're told here that the rich then sit in a low place. Those who have great capabilities, but they're not acknowledged because of the biases of the ruler, of the own agenda of the ruler. And so we think also about what God does. The folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. You think about what, what Jesus came to do. But God sent his son... And when he was born, he didn't have the Ritz-Carlton or its equivalent in, in the first, first century in Israel. He didn't have the Waldorf Astoria. He was in a manger in, in a cattle shed. He was born to uh, a man who was a carpenter. And we know that Joseph and Mary were poor based upon what kind of offering they gave, that it was two turtle doves. That's, in Leviticus, was it that, that's the offering uh, for a person living in poverty. And we ask, well, why did God do that to his son? Shouldn't he have given him the red carpet treatment? Well, the answer is he didn't. He didn't. It wasn't essential for Jesus and what he came to do. Then we think about what he actually came to do. He didn't come to lead some kind of rebellion. That he came for a very specific purpose. 
We have many godly examples. There's only one Jesus who is the perfect example. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So here, what we have is that our Lord Jesus, he possesses all authority and all power, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, Yet, for our sake, he became poor. He took upon himself the role of a servant. And that in his poverty, you and I might become rich. That he was exalted to the highest place. That Jesus, who took the role of a servant, that he died on the cross, uh, the very death that the wicked sinners, that the capital criminals deserve to die, he died in your place. He died in my place. He died the very death that you and I deserve to die. And that in doing so, we might become rich. That we might have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So when we, when we complain about the folly set in high places, when we complain about the rich set in a low place, here of all people is Jesus Christ, the wealthiest of all, the greatest of all, who is put in the lowliest place, to die in the place of sinners. And for that we ought to rejoice. We ought to rejoice because God in His wisdom put Him there. That He came for a purpose to pay the price for the sins of His people so that you and I, by faith, might be credited His righteousness. That we who are sinners can be washed clean of our sin and received as sons and daughters of our God. That this indeed is good news. How can a man born of a woman be clean? It's only by one who is washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, who is Jesus Christ. One who is credited with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. One whose sins have been covered by the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So that when you and I are asked, how is it? That we can be righteous. That we must say. It is only by the righteousness of another. Not by my works. Not by my accomplishments. But I look to the one. That you have given me. I look to the one who has died on the cross. His death was sufficient to cover. For your sins and mine. Embrace him for eternal life. For he indeed. Is no fool who trusts in Jesus Christ. That all other ways lead to death. Jesus alone is the one who saves. And he is the one whom we worship because he indeed is God. May we go to our God together in prayer.